Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Stress Sessions. I'm really excited to speak to this week's guest. He's an ex-footballer who played for Gillingham, Brentford, Reading and Sheffield United, just to name a few clubs, and came up against the likes of Rio Ferdinand and Phil Jagielka, scoring over 100 career goals. Here's the Stress Sessions with Carla Saba. Hello, how are you? Yeah, good. Are you good? Yeah, not bad, thanks. This is this is so surreal. <laughs> Actually, getting me uh, to to just make it, you know, do what normal people do. Oh, see, I've lost you. There we go. This is more like it. <laughs> I can see your your picture's crisp. I can. See, it's like it's fine. Can you? Can well, you... I can't see so at all. Can you, can you not? <laughs> no, uh, allow. Um, Zoom's Zoom's playing with me at the moment. <laughs> One sec, not now. Oh, there you go. Oh, sweet. Okay, brilliant. How you doing? I'm 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 really good, thanks. I'm yeah. really nervous now because I haven't got a clue what we're talking about. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, and if it's got anything to do with me, it could just be comical. Just to kick it off, like I mean, this is this is a surreal experience for me because I, I like as a as a Jules fan, like I I just remember you scoring that goal against Man City in the in the playoff final, and yeah, as a kid, I was only I think I was about eight or nine oh, at the time. You didn't have to say that. That just, <laughs> just killed me. I'm already feeling ancient. Now you've just kidded me off. But like, but like uh, that 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 moment, mate. How what I mean, what was that like? That must have been like ridiculous when that happened. It was, um, well, obviously, it's something you always dream of, you know, scoring at Wembley. Um, and obviously, I've been there before, and it was it was a, such a bad experience before. Mm. Um, but we, we were confident. So, you know, we'd scored freely all through the season. So I was expecting to get chances. But when it went in, you know, it was a toe poke. I yeah. just ran off. I don't know. I've wasted so much energy running off. I just, <laughs> you lose all bearings of things and jump the hoarding. And, you know, I'm surprised I didn't trip over the hoarding. But <laughs> it, it was, it was perfect. And that day was perfect up until, you know, until the 89th what? minute. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, that's, that's sort of my first question, really. So, Going going from like scoring a goal in the eighty eighth eighty ninth minute to to then going into the penalty shootout and then and then ultimately losing like as as a player does that does that kind of knock you like does that knock your confidence a little bit or, or like what was the team morale like when that happened? The team well the team were good because we were a good you know an honest bunch and we were laughy jokey and there was no real pressure it was Man City you know they had yeah. everything to lose we turned up. We should have beaten them. We knew, you know, we, we should have beaten them. And I was off. So I, I was gutted that I wasn't able to take a penalty. But we have big characters and everybody who took a penalty, you know, that's, you know, it's just massive. It's the easiest thing to say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. The, the world's watching. Yeah. You know, we've had a great result and there was nothing, no one could fire anything against us. Um, so there, there was no... No sort of ill ill effect that oh god you missed you let us down you know like Gareth Southgate and Stuart Pearce were always had that blame about missing for England 
our boys didn't because, you know, we weren't supposed to beat Man City and we had a go and we gave our best. So none of them were renowned penalty takers, were they? you got butts, you you got smudge. They're, they're not penalty. I was off the pitch. I take penalties. So, you know, if anything, I felt I let them down not being on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, when like looking back at that now, like it's, it's ridiculous that, I mean, I'm, I'm a I'm a hardcore Jules fan. Like, it's ridiculous that that team got to the final and did what they did because yeah. like, when you look at City's team that they had, they had like, Danny Tiato, they had they had Nicky Weaver, they had Paul Dickoff up front. It's 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 mental that that happened. I think like yeah. like you know. that was a once in a lifetime sort of that was like Leicester winning the Premier League. I think sort of. Oh, exactly. Sort of and we were all no one gave us a chance. You know, it turned up the place was packed. They were all going to celebrate Man City's, you know, going back up into the first division. And we were there just doing what we did week in, week out. We grinded things down and we took our chances. So, you know, there was nothing to, you know, I look back on it. It's on every year and I watch it and I can't believe it. And the the emotions are still so raw. You know, I've, I've really never spoken to anyone about Jill's until this year, you know, I completely just exiled myself from football. I didn't yeah. talk about football because of my own inability to deal with not playing anymore mentally. Um, and when people have been saying, like yourself, how how big, big a day it was, it's been so great for me because I, I remember it like it was yesterday and I feel so proud, you know, it's, it was a great, great day. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm like, I'm just buzzing speaking to you, just like thinking back at that time. It's it's mad, isn't it? It's like it's it, I don't know, like it's twenty over twenty years ago now, and it's like mm-hmm. I still get that same feeling, like when I was a kid. That yeah, it's it's just a mad. That was my first time at Wembley as well, so it's just it was yeah. it's a mad experience. But, Brilliant! It's a yeah. great place, and it's nice to talk to to the fans, especially the ones who were there, because it was a it's a massive part of my life. And that we've got a shared experience with so many different people who I've never met and they've never met me. And then when we talk, it's it's such a major thing to us all. It's been yeah. lovely. And yeah. for me, it's it's helped me not find my love of football. Because I, my, the one thing that's been throughout my life is I love football. But it's helped me get more, I don't know, accepting of what I did. I never acknowledged my career. I wasn't saying, well, I did this, I did that. It was like all the shirts are put away, the hatchet balls and out of sight. Um, my kids never got to see me play because I'd already retired. Sorry, my dog's just come in and he's <laughs> having right. a heart attack. So it, it's been brilliant. It, it's, it, and in that people still mem- remember it so fondly means so much to me. And you've, You've just mentioned that when you when you retired from football, you you kind of had that you had that separation, and you you've not kind of had that passion for football since. Like, and, and now you've got that back. What what was that like? Because obviously, when when players retire, it's it's a it's a very young age, isn't it? You got to remember, I played football for playing football. It wasn't uh, after I lost the first match at Wembley, we had a massive, for Brentford, we had a massive reception meal at the hotel and family and friends. They didn't see me until the first week of pre-season. I wasn't there to celebrate and have a party. And fr- I'm there to win a match and enjoy a match. If I didn't win, 
that was it. My, you know, I'm not here to go on, you know, I didn't go on Soccer AM, I wouldn't go on this, I would, because I wasn't in football for that. I was, it's my game and my release. Now, when I finished football through retiring, I've retired through injury, that was, I couldn't carry on playing on a Sunday. Mm. I couldn't, and for, you, for me, I got the same enjoyment scoring on a Sunday or against my kids now. Yeah. When I score in the garden against my kids, I'm off celebrating, jumping the hoarding still, like I did at Wembley, because it's the same. So I had to exile myself from football, or just cut football off, because... I'd lost my outlet. I couldn't play on a Sunday. It wasn't like I could progressively go down and down and down. I was offered a short-term contract at Leicester. And that was the point where I knew, well, if they're offering me three months and they want me to play against Crystal Palace tonight, but I'm only good for three months, my career is over. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't able to go down the divisions and then play like Chris Waddle playing up the park um, at mid-50s, still enjoying football. So that's why I think I had to just turn my back on it. And luckily for me, I was able to go into cars, which I adore, and throw myself at it. But it was still, there was something wrong because football was me. And now being able to speak to yourself and to, you know, get posts. I got told there was a Dillingham fan who called his dog Saba. You know, it limped and it all kept going lame. No, it didn't. Um, But... (laughs) It's just so nice. I didn't know all this because I didn't I didn't go to the media. I didn't give my story about why I left and Jill fans hated me. And But now everybody understands, okay, well, he left. He didn't really want to leave. But, yeah. but they understand that it hurt me and I love my time at Gillingham. And going back and being booed, after what I've been through with the, the players and with the fans... It, it really upset me and upset my family because they've been playing for Gillingham. You're going into, when you're a footballer, you're going into someone else's community. You're not necessarily from that area yourself, but their club means everything to them. Yeah. And the, the fans at Gillingham accepted my family. They'd meet my mama in the car park and they'd talk and after the match. And I really bonded with the Gillingham people. And for me to then never say and see all this rubbish written about me, is this, is that, is, was hard. And now I'm just so happy that I've got my side over, whether people like it or not. I've aired it and I'm able, again, to free up mental space where there's so much that have been compartmentalised because I just didn't have the tools to get past yeah. it unless I spoke to people. I think I personally think it's admirable that you've come out with it and, and said your side really because I mean I don't know what it's, it would have felt like to you having that sort of like negativity like aimed at you but from from like a fan perspective it must be bloody horrible like it must be soul destroying knowing that I oh, I was booed I was hated and it's like it, yeah. I mean personally I. I yeah, I, I never did it. I understand. I understand where the people who did, but they don't understand that I didn't go to their club, and it's their club, your club, and just want money and want this and want. I went there. I gave my all. I, I was taking painkillers for three or four months on the run up to the Wembley match, stopping off at Clackett Lane on the way home after evening, throwing up and being sick with blood because I'm playing through pain. We knew. 
I was having an operation after Man City. That's why the gaffer took me off, because I was really struggling to move. So then to see this being written about me and that, you know, a year down the line, where I was in a bad way. I got rushed up to the hospital. I had blood clots. I've got a big dent in my groin from where there was a blood clot cut out. It was like, well, I gave everything I had for the club. I know I left, but you've got to appreciate whether I was good or bad. I gave everything. And that was that was what upset me. I don't expect people to think, oh, he's Pele in this, because I wasn't. You know, we had Super Bob for that. We, we had Hesse <laughs> for this. I was yeah. just my own thing, but I gave everything. And to be called a lot of the stuff and money, this and money, that you know, I've been offered money, more money to go to other clubs. And I never went for the highest income. I went for the club that felt right with me. Chef U was right. I was offered a lot more to play elsewhere, but it was about football. So it's nice that people know now and, and they understand how much Chillingham meant to me. I've got all my shirts. I've got the balls. I've got these signed pictures. I've got everything to do with Gillingham means a lot so at least they know now and yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to going back you know I like the chairman the chairman was great with me everyone thought yeah, we hated Scal- each other yeah, he's, I mean he's, he's been there for ages isn't he like he's one of those chairmen no, he, he loves the club yeah he's a very yeah. rich man there's, there's easier things to do with your money you know so people moan and groan but they've got to appreciate he loves the club and he's given everything he can to it yeah Go, going back to, to when I'm, I'm going to go back sort of like previous to Jules in your career when you you had like a re- when you went to Brentford it was a pretty big move wasn't it and it, I think you went for over a million pounds to Brentford and no no to Reading from Brentford I oh, was, was I was at university oh, yeah I was at, right, I was at university and I was a Crystal Palace season ticket holder and I was offered a trial at Palace or a proper contract at Brentford um and I was earning at the time, it was £300 a week, you know, for three years. Um, and you had Ashby there and you had Bob there and Smudger there and they were all earning a lot more. But I went, it didn't, they could offer me 50 quid. It didn't matter. I got a chance to be a professional and I was playing football and loving it. But my move was to Reading. Um, when, when, and you that's, had, when you had that move, because it was like... I mean, a million pounds, even now, I think, is a lot of money. It's, it's probably I, not... I was over the moon. I was so... I couldn't believe it. I was on the phone to my friend because Alan Shearer went for 15 million, who's the best... He was the best striker in the world. Yeah. So you're thinking, Jesus Christ, they actually... They think a lot of you. Um, but it was a terrible... It was a... You know, it was terrible. It was a wrong thing to do. Um, I didn't understand football at the time. I didn't know you had to know what the other players were like. I just thought oh, another club it's going to be bigger it's going to be but it was a bad move but thankfully you had Pulis and, and Scully who moved heaven and earth to get me to the people and into the club that suited me when you made that move did you put yourself under a lot of pressure because it was such a big move and did it affect you mentally would you say or did you, did you just have like a big high and no it was I didn't I didn't have a big high and I didn't I didn't feel any pressure at the start when things started going wrong. Because when, when I started at Reading, I did really well. I scored against Sunderland, I scored against this guy. We, we were doing well. But then I shock, I got injured and the team was struggling. And that's when I did feel a bit of pressure because your team's losing and you're not on the pitch. And that 
That is a side of football where I don't feel the fans understand the mental aspect. You don't, you, you're playing football until you're 35. You've got a, a, a finite time. If you're injured, that's a game you miss. That's a game off your career. That's another week off your career. That's a ground you're not going to play at, a set of atmosphere and support that you're not going to get. So every time you're injured and you're missing, it, it affects you. You go to the grounds and people ask you and you're sort of embarrassed to speak to fact, are you going to be back soon? And yeah. that side, it's mentally, it's really hard. Um, and I found that hard going, you know, when I had the operation for Jill's, I didn't like going back because I'm sitting and I'm watching Super Bob score from, you know, our goal kicks. It was, and it, it, that's very hard yeah, because yeah. you want to play and you don't want to be sat in the stand. You don't care if they were paying you a hundred grand a day. It wouldn't have meant, and you know, I'd have a great TV at home, but that day I'd miss a football match and mentally that's so hard. Um, and you're so sad and you don't feel you, you know, because you're not doing what your, your role is in life. So you'd feel like a cheat and a and a, a, a farce um, and a shammer. But no one, I'd never missed a match where I could play. If I could actually, you know, the tablets I was taking to play when I was in, you shouldn't have really done it, but you wanted to play. So any match I miss for injury, I really miss for injury. I've, I mean, I've read a lot about footballers. A lot I've read like Peter Crouch's autobiography and he's, he's, he said exactly the same as you where he he would do anything to play a match like he, foot, like, yeah. like you football is his life football meant everything to him and he played for the love of football you look at players like Mesut Ozil who's on like 350 grand a week and obviously yeah. like you don't know what the full story is there but what what do you think that he's thinking in his shoes he's not being picked but he's got a year left on his contract and he's getting paid five, like 350 grand a week how do, how do you think he's feeling Jesus, um, it's a hard one because if if you measure Özil and you're at Real Madrid, you fight, and he was 24, you're financially secure for the rest of your life anyway, unless you're a, a complete clown. So for me, he's out. He's playing to enjoy football and for him to do something for his kids and his family to say, "Oh wow, did you see what measure?" He's not wanting to be sat at home and texting, "Well done." you know, come on, you gunners at yeah. home. So for me, that's strange. I don't understand it because I'm I'm not financially motivated. I don't think he, he's financially motivated in... You can't be. To get to that level, you're, you're a multimillionaire anyway. So I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand. I'll be banging like I did when I was at Stoke. I had the cushiest life at Stoke... None of my family could believe what I was doing because I had two years left at Stoke. Pulis was there. He loved me. I could do no wrong. And he wanted me to get my coaching badges. But I wasn't playing week in, week out. And I, I was if I did play, I played left midfield. So I caused a stir. I wanted to leave. And everyone's saying, just shut up. You're, you're 30 now. <laughs> you're getting good money. Yeah. You've got no pressure. The manager loves you. You can do it. If you want to do this, you can do it. You want to do extra courses, you can do it. He's not going to make your life hard. Just shut up. 
but I couldn't do it because I, I was football motivated. You know, I spent enough time on the bench not being that good enough to get in the starting 11 a lot. So just let me go. If I have to go down a tier, let me go down a tier and I'll earn less. But I wanted to play. So I don't understand the Ozils and, and people who are already multimillionaires and on more money than they could ever have imagined. I'd take a pay cut to play because at 35, when you're not playing in front of the crowds, you're going to miss it and you kick yourself and I missed 30 games there where I could have, you know, what you've got an extra TV or an extra cinema or extra yeah. car. You know, that that's not needed. You've got another part of life when you get to 35. Get your earnings in business, Robbie Fowler. He played every game. He's worked, he's earned more from after football than he did in football, but yeah. he played every match. Yeah. So that's how I'd see it. And I... I I, I take my hat off to anyone who goes down the, the, the tiers so they can be on the pitch. You know, don't want to stay necessarily a sub at Man U. Play. It's about playing. It's about being on the pitch, being part of something, not sat in the stand earning hundreds of thousands. That's that's not right for me. No, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit like, I look at the Ozil situation and I kind of think, there must be another side to that story. Like, There's a lot must... going on there that we'll never know. Yeah, yeah. I've got Ozil shirts. My kids have. I adore Ozil. He plays a different sport to me. You know, <laughs> I played. We had the same ball, but I, my foot didn't operate the way his yeah, foot does. Yeah. And I, I didn't see what he did. I love watching him, and I think it's a, a real shame that he's not on the pitch. Um, he, he's my favourite at Arsenal. I just loved him, but there's a bigger thing. It's it's a team. It's about winning. It's not about 10 minutes of Ozil magic, but losing 5-0. And if everyone's running around at 100%, that, that's what the manager wants and that's the best result. So it's a shame that's happened, but, but it has and there's a lot that we'll never know about. Psychologically and mentally, it must be affecting him quite badly, I, I think, because he's, he's literally doing nothing. And I think Maybe. like because he's got that, team around him obviously like operating his social media and stuff and he's got like mm-hmm. pictures going up of him looking happy and like he, can't, he must but he's got to look happy he's got yeah. to he's got to live he, he, he's he's not forcing people to pay you know at the end of the day once he gets to 40 they're not going to pay him £350,000 a week at the time they the club wanted to but as Arsenal fans we've sort of a lot of us are left upset thinking well the club did their side he's not given everything but maybe he has maybe there's a clash between him and the management him and the board him and other players we don't know Mm -hmm. it's just a shame and you know Gunnosaurus yeah it's mad Gunnosaurus (laughs) you've got people being let go at a club who earn next to nothing compared to him and it's just it's a PR just disaster there's there's quite a long history of I guess mental health footballers with mental health problems over the years. So you've got like Clark Carlisle contemplating suicide yeah. in, like earlier in his career with with his injuries because he was injured quite a lot early in his career. Yeah. And then obviously rest in peace Gary Speed committed suicide a few years ago. And then more recently there's like Aaron oh, Aaron, Aaron Lennon it was. <laughs> oh yeah. And okay. like, there's been like a long history of like mental health problems with footballers. Did you? I mean, I don't think you personally experienced that in your career, but do you know footballers did experience that? Well, 
Remember, there's a lot going on at the moment with mental health. There's a lot where it, anything now, we can talk about anything and you're not laughed at, you're not ostracised. But there's a lot that's been sort of put in a catch neck of back in when I was playing, if you lost a match and you went home, you were sulking, you were this, not you're not having mental problems, you know, computing a loss and getting over it and being able to process things. You know, we just, you were either sulking or he's he's yeah. got temper issues. So I think almost everyone does. All the footballers will have mental issues because once you, or in most sports, once you become a professional at anything, the mental side is, if if not as equal, it's bigger. Because you can play football, you can kick a ball. It's about how you can deal with the pressure situation of taking a penalty, of going out and when you're running down the wing, someone's shouting at you. That's, you you know, when the person, when the crowd aren't there, you're doing the same stuff, but you're not having to deal with the mental side. So I think that's one of the, the things that, as a, a pro and a past pro, anyone who plays pro, you have a respect for because you know what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. They're dealing, and I didn't have to deal with the social media sides. Oh. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's. I think it should be, but you know, the players shouldn't be on it. You keep off it. You shouldn't read it because if someone's calling you this and you think you've had a good game and all your home, your fans are saying you took mentally, it's in your head already. You're going on the pitch and you're going to be playing to react your reaction is playing against what's being said about you you're not playing a natural game you're trying hard or you're trying so, so I would have stayed well away so I, I, I have even more respect for what they're going through now I think they shouldn't be allowed to give social commentaries because they're you know they're paid to kick a ball don't say about this political thing or this shooting or that just shut up play your football yeah Wait, and then after you're a footballer, if you want to be Joey Barton and say, <laughs> well, you know, be a politician, do it. But yeah. while you're playing, play. And it, it must be very hard for them. Did the effect of the Gillingham fans, like negativity when you went to... When I returned, yeah. yeah. And I've said this, that playing at Gillingham, I do things that, that recently on Facebook, they put on a hat-trick against Cardiff. And the last goal, I wouldn't have done that shot in training because you it's not something that was simple, but the, the love and... Well, the love, I sound like I've gone all, all theatrical <laughs> now, but the, the, the following and the, the atmosphere that I'd receive at Gillingham, there was, it was like, he's going to do something. Not, oh God, he's going to do something. So you try something that you wouldn't normally do. Yeah. And... When I returned to Gillingham, the negativity, I was shitting, oh, sorry, I was crapping myself you running <laughs> because you're, you're tense. Yeah. The, the people shout, you want to, oh, I'm going to show you, and you're not playing your normal game. And every time I went back, I think I went back twice, I was terrible. Warnock, the second time, said I was going through a bad patch, and he said, I'm going to make you play away at Gillingham now because I want to shout at you and I can't. So I let them because it wasn't a nice atmosphere and that's brilliant you know as a home player 
you get you get ten percent. You'd be lifted by playing. And I feel that football now, well, during the virus, isn't normal football because away fans aren't being subjected to the pressure and the mental side of playing in a cauldron. You're not playing in front of fifty thousand or sixty thousand at Man U where they're screaming at you every time you touch the ball, you tense up. Yeah. So I think that's why the results are different because there's less external pressure on the players so they're they're able to express themselves and try things because they're not getting booed. They're not getting jeered. You know, that comes in the papers the next day when they get home. But while they're on the pitch, they're trying things and the, the way players are able to, you know, just express themselves more. And I mean, that you can see that from, like you said, the results recently, like Villa smashing Liverpool, like Tottenham yeah. smashing Man U's mad. <laughs> it's like... really good. And it's, it's good for us once this virus actually gets dealt with and we get the kick, because the players will appreciate the fans more. You know, when I was playing, fans used to say, oh, it's our club, you don't respect the fans. And when you're young... You're going, oh, of course we don't. It's all about us. It's about the players, not <laughs> yeah, the fans. Yeah. No, it's not. Football is not football without the fans. It's lovely. It's a training session. We're watching training matches. Warnock had the thing. Oh, was it? It was Warnock. No, it was Pulis. Midweek internationals, because there were players who would be incredible in training. Brilliant technique. They'd shoot from the halfway line. Embarrass you with nothing. Makes, but when you're in front of 30,000 who are screaming at you, they go into a shell. Oh, yeah. And the things they do, and that was a really good saying, saying that always stuck with me, midweek internationals, weekend amateurs, because they couldn't cope. There was a guy called Lawrence Ten Tons Hoyville at Sheffield, one of the best technical strikers I've ever seen, would put it in on a 50p in the top corner, training, training, training. And a match... In front of the fans, he was a different player. Mm. Don't know, maybe in Holland he hadn't played in front of such... But, well, it can't be because the, the Holland fans are crazy. <laughs> but he couldn't cope with the atmosphere in English in English stadiums. So he'd probably love... He'd probably be playing now in, in COVID times worth 100 million. Yeah. But when the fans come, he'll retire again because he can't deal <laughs> with the fans. It's mad, so it? It, it's a big, big mental side... And I feel it affects the results. You know, the, the fan, the atmosphere and Priestfield was incredible. It made me feel I was a 10 because the fans believed in me. And then when they didn't believe in me, they made me feel like a 2. So <laughs> I hope they understand and they they enjoy that they do have such a big role. And Priestfield was hard. You go to Preston away, it was a, it was a horrible atmosphere. Wigan... That's why I didn't join Wigan. They wanted to fly me for, after training at, at Gillingham to, to see the setup and see them and meet them. And they were going to pay so much money. It was like, oh God, no, it's like, you know, marry Celestial, <laughs> ground. there's nothing. You can hear a pin drop. And I needed fans to G me up and get me going because that's all I had to offer, high energy and intensity. And it would, I'd, I'd react and, and bounce off the fans. And if there's no one at the stadium... You're getting the average Carl, and no one wants the average Carl. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you've spoken a lot about him already, but I, my my favourite Jules pairing of strikers was yourself and Bob Taylor because it was like that season he was at Jules with you was just like magic, wasn't it? 
it, it was, apart from Burnley away. Yeah, yeah. That we <laughs> I have nothing but respect for Bob. I never felt I was in competition against him, apart from Burnley away. Um, <laughs> and if he scored, I was happy for him and I'd set him up and we'd work together. And I think it was just that our personalities were like that. We weren't, it has to be me, me, me. It has to be me. If you did well together, you, you'd gain because the team's winning. And that's what Pupilis was very good at. He got people who believed in the team ethic um, and it showed. And that's why when you lose at penalties, you lost as a team. There's no point in that Gareth Southgate miss or this. We lost. I was off the pitch and I I lost because whoever took the penalties was taking it on our behalf. And you scored together and you lost together and it, it was good. Sorry, I've got, so there's a snuffle pig dog just. Oh, sorry. That's all right. He, he wants to be involved. Sorry. There he is. Oh. That bloke. Call Lewis Hamilton because I, you know, I have my, my motor racing issues. Oh, there he is. Oh, he's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's the brains of the family, this one. You spoke about Bob Taylor. Is, is there a player that you can think of that stands out that you've played with that's been like the best player you've played with? God, I've been I've been really lucky with some of the players. You know, I've, I had Ray Houghton uh, uh, who'd won the, the Premier League with really scored the wonder goal against England in the World Cup and um, you got Michael Brown who one of the years of Chef U. I've never seen anything like it. Mm. Um, Phil Jagielka, good, good, good players. You've got Bob Taylor, you've got Marcus Bent, you've got Marlon King, you've got Barry Ash. I've been really lucky. Um, and Jagielka was the one that at 17, when I joined at Chef, Chef U, because of my mental age anyway and being a kid, I used to go home with them after after Trey, I wasn't, not Michael Jackson way. I used to go back with youngsters and play computer because I'm an idiot yeah, and yeah. I, I didn't have time for sitting in this bar and that bar. I just wanted FIFA. Yeah, FIFA yeah. and that was it, Pro Evolution Soccer. And Jags at 17, you knew he was going to just be incredible because he he had everything. And I've never seen anyone strike a ball as hard as him. You know, we called him Titanium, but he was... <laughs> and But he loved... He didn't play football for money. He wasn't in it for the contracts. He was just about football. And you weren't surprised. You know, I wasn't surprised when he played for England and he did so well. And, you know, it's just, just nice seeing people who are in it. Team Windass. We oh, clashed complete great, chalk and yeah. cheese personalities. He was just not, you know, I liked him, but he was all the fa- But as a footballer, my God, he's he's one of the best strikers. He did, the way he could finish and his technique was brilliant. Pesky Salido, Cava. Yeah. You know, Steve Cava, if he didn't have injury, he could have been anything. He, I've just been lucky. Just lucky, I, you know, amongst these boys. And um, I did my bit, what I did. I, I ran around and tried. That was it. They had real ability. It was, it was, it was nice to see. And who, who would you say was the hardest defender that you played against? Rio. Bloody Rio. I played yeah. against, I was supposed to be going to Leeds. I was going to, what was it, Gillingham? I think it was, we were at Gillingham. 
Or was that Brentford? I'm not. I can't remember now. I was away to. He was playing for Bournemouth, and George Graham came to watch. The scouts had given their opinion. Yet yeah, this is it. I was embarrassed by Rio. <laughs> In, but I couldn't get part. He wasn't like a horrible. He wasn't bullied. He didn't call me names. He didn't kick me. Just embarrassed me. <laughs> From the start to the finish, he did it in a nice manner. I didn't have a bruise, but I didn't have the ball. And I most certainly didn't have a chance at goal. And um, I think he either went and got Yeboah or someone. It was, you know, he got a striker who would go on and do nothing. He didn't make the right decision at all. I'm joking, of course, Yeboah was brilliant. Um, but that was that was what sort of showed me that I was a trier and I had ability, but there was a whole nother level above, you know, these people who make it look so easy. Uh, and Rio, I played against him. Jolien Lescott oh, was wow. another. In the playoff yeah. final, we would we beat them before I scored against Wolves. That we were going to win. It was easy, you know, and that was our mentality. If anything, we went to the final against Wolves for Sheffield thinking we just had to turn up to win. And Les got bullied. Bullied me, bullied me. I had a half-decent game. I did well. But no, that boy was strong. He was he was quick. He could jump. He was committed. And he had a brain, you know. That was where I sort of struggled, when someone had a brain. Because I physically I was okay and I was quick and I did, but when someone could add a brain to the mix, that was the next level. I was always off the cuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the players in the Premier League, they've got all the attributes. They're quick, they're strong, they're, they're talented, but they've also got a brain. Um, and that's why I never got my, my premiership appearance. So, uh, yeah, Rio, Rio popped the nail in the coffin so I didn't actually get to the <laughs> top level and then get sent back. So I think... Half of it's a blessing and a curse. Did you ever get the opportunity to go to a Premier League team or did that not happen? Well, no, that was PT at Leicester. When when I was at Jules, yeah. I thought I was going and that didn't materialise. And, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I wouldn't have, well, I don't know, I wouldn't have said that, but I didn't get the chance. So you can't say I would have done this, I wouldn't do it, because if they wanted me and they thought I could, they would have bought me. So, yeah. you know, it's simple. I, I'm... Gave everything I had. I was just proud whether I was at Barnet in the lowest tier. I wanted to be a professional and I loved playing football. And that was that. You, you play from Sunday league, you play the better team, the better team. And I got to a level. It was still playing football. So I, I was happy. Well, you scored over 100 goals, so you didn't do too bad. But. No, I did okay. And I remember I was injured for 90% of the time anyway. Yeah. Because I had Mother Teresa's bone structure in my body. It didn't work. And that was when she was, you know, knocking, not when she was young Mother Teresa, I would have, I would have had a better career. Thank you so much for, for your time and... Yeah, no, it's incredible what you're doing. You know, the, the whole mental side and the dealing with things, I found it hard. And people have got to understand that life is hard and you've just got to keep dealing with things, dealing with things, but do what makes you happy. And 
that was my problem. The thing that made me happy, I couldn't do anymore. But you find ways to enjoy that thing from different angles. You know, I'm not a Paralympian or anything, but they've lost limbs and they've but they're still able. They're finding a way to do what they love, and that that's what it is. Whether it's you know not playing football or riding the horse or the, just do what makes you happy because. Otherwise, you'd be sad, and that's when the mental issues come. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, mate. Perfect. Um, I won't take up any more of your time, but no, um, it's brilliant. Thank yeah. you. I'm sorry about the, the the overweight dog with breathing issues. No, but... that's all right. No, Lewis is all good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Okay, thanks, my friend. Speak to you soon. See you later. Thank you. See you later. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.